Welcome to Walking Moose Podcast. My name is Meg, my dog's name is Moose, and I'm taking time out from walking him to chat it up with you. Well, hello everybody. On today's episode, we are going to be talking Mary Stewart. That's S-T-E-W-A-R-T. She is an author who wrote all sorts of stuff. Um, She's kind of known for two things, an Arthurian saga and then standalone thriller, suspense, not really mystery. I wouldn't call her that. Some people will have heard of her, but for a lot of you out there, you may be hearing about her for the first time. And that's my job is to get you excited about Little Mary. But before we get into the particulars of this particular author and talk about her works and what I love about them, if you have been listening to this podcast for a while, you may have remembered when I spoke about Mary Stewart, I was going to give you a couple of recipes to go with her. And she is all about the class. She's a classy author and talking about classy things. Dated things, I will admit, they are dated things, but they are still classy things. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three recipes. I'm going to give you two drinks, and I'm going to give you an aperitif. And this um, aperitif, or appetizer, as you may know it, is something that I just know, I didn't actually find it in any of her books, but I just know that she would have had this at a dinner party and her characters would have it at a dinner party. So I'm going to get my notes together. So we're going to be talking about two cocktails. I'm going to give you the recipe for a black Russian and for a royal tea, a royal tea. And then I'm also going to give you a quick and easy recipe for a salmon mousse um, canapé, a salmon mousse canapé. And it's really pretty easy. I made it from my family. The salmon mousse canapé was okay. It's a different texture, I think, than my family was used to. You know, I mean, we're kind of, you know, we're kind of Cheez-Its people. And so it was a little, everybody was like, (laughs) when you're used to Cheez-Its and Ritz crackers and you taste something that's very mushy, a little bit different, a little bit of an odd experience, but it had a good flavor. Anyway, so give me just a second to get my notes together, and we're going to start with the recipes, and then we're going to dive right into Mary Stewart. Okay, ready? So we're going to do the cocktails first. So the first cocktail that we're going to do is a black Russian. And the reason I decided on this particular cocktail was because it was pretty easy It was popular in the 50s, and I thought it was good. And it also had, to me, it sort of has that international flair to it that we you really get when you're reading a Mary Stewart book. It's, uh, you know, to me, it conjures up images of, you know, fancy hotels and spies, and not that she's really doing spies, but she's doing... She's doing a lot of kind of pre-James Bond from a woman's point of view. And we'll get that to us in a second. Here you go. Here's the black Russian. Now, first off, I want to say this is not a white Russian. The difference between the black Russian and the white Russian is the white Russian adds cream. You're not going to add cream to this. So what you're going to do is you're going to get coffee-flavored liqueur. And I really didn't know what that was. Um, I'm not a big liqueur drinker, but I did go to the liquor store. 
I did Google it, and you can get a lot of very specific coffee-flavored liqueurs. Um, and there's actually some out there that are supposedly the best for making black Russians. But I just got like a coffee-flavored uh, liqueur, and it was, you know, and I just asked them, and they said, well, you can use Kahlua. Um, but I didn't do that. I did a uh, Leopold Brothers um, because I had Googled that that was the best one. And it wasn't too pricey. I mean, I don't buy this kind of stuff often, so I'm always shocked at the price. But it was okay. I mean, it wasn't. It was like mid-range. So what you're going to do is you're going to take your coffee liqueur. You're going to get your little shot glass out and everything, and you want to have less of the coffee liqueur than the vodka. So when I have my little shot glass out, I fill my shot glass about three quarters full, and I put the, you know, three quarters full of the coffee liqueur, put that in, and then I put in a full shot glass and then just a little bit more of vodka, and you put some ice in, and that's it, baby. That's it. That's your black Russian. Now, if you want to take that to a white Russian, then you're going to need to add cream to that. But I mean, it, and it's pretty potent. You can put a cherry in it. I actually had some of those whiskey cherries. I don't know if you guys um, saw whatever I posted that on Instagram or whatever, but I got these whiskey cherries. They didn't taste like whiskey at all, but they were fun big fat maraschino cherries, you put those in there. So that's your black Russian. Um, and it was good. You know, I mean, you're definitely going to sip it. You're not going to throw those back or anything. Don't drive after I give you all these recipes and then get me in trouble. So the next one I'm going to give you, you can hear me flipping the pages on my cocktail book here, is called a Royal Tea Cocktail. And the way they're writing it, the way they're spelling it is Royal, R-O-Y-I-L, hyphen T, T-E-A cocktail. And this one was pretty fun. Um, I'm not a gin drinker, so, but I mean, I liked that. I just don't know that I would generally have gin. But anyway, so I got this gin. So it's gin and it's Earl Grey tea. You have to brew it and then a little bit of lemon juice and a little bit of sugar. And that's it. And so what you do is you brew yourself a cup of Earl Grey tea. Um, and you want, you know, like a teacup. If you use a coffee mug, because we in America, I don't know that we have a lot of teacups. But if you use a coffee mug, brew yourself a mug of Earl Grey tea. But you're only going to use about half of it. Okay, and so you let that cool and everything like that. And so here's your shot glass again. And so you take your shot glass and you do a full shot and then probably a half of the gin. And then you pour in like half of your Earl Grey tea and then you squirt a little lemon in there, a little fresh lemon. And then you just add sugar, a little bit of sugar till you get it to the taste you like. I don't like particularly sweet things. So I only added just a few little, little bits of a teaspoon, stir that around. And that is your Royal tea. And it wasn't horrible. I happen to like Earl Grey tea, but I mean, this would be a tough one for people that didn't like Earl Grey tea and gin, um, either one of those, because you do sort of taste the gin, but you definitely taste the Earl Grey tea. But the reason I wanted to do that one is because Mary Stewart, most of her, um, she was, wait, let me back up there, kind of lost my train of thought. The reason I picked that one is because she 
is very English. She actually lived in Scotland, um, but she was of English heritage. And so there's a lot of tea going on. They have a lot of teas in these um, books. You know, the characters will stop and have tea and, you know, oh, well, I'm going to have tea and everything. So teas discussed a lot. So I thought, you know what, let's just spike it up. Let's find a cocktail recipe with tea. So you've got your international woman of mystery recipe, your black Russian, and then you've got your royal tea tea recipe. And both of them are pretty good. Black Russian, I liked better than the royal tea, um, but it wasn't horrible. I mean, but I drank it. I'm not going to lie. Now, let's move on to the aperitif. This is going to be your salmon mousse canapé. So let me just get my notes on that. Give me just... Okay, so here is your canapé recipe. So you're going to have a Mary Stewart party after this. I know you are. You're going to be serving those black Russians, and you're going to want something to eat that's very Mary Stewart. And so here's your recipe for your salmon mousse canapé. So you're going to get two English cucumbers, um, and you're going to get a package of cream cheese, just a little brick of it, soften it up, leave it out. You're going to get, now the recipe calls for a half pound of smoked salmon, and that's a lot of smoked salmon. What I found is salmon in the can. And, you know, you can find that sometimes. Sometimes it's a little hard for me to find. But I found salmon in the can. And I just got a couple of cans of that. And then you get a little bit of milk. And then you get, uh, you know, some lemon pepper salt. And then a little bit of heavy whipping cream. So what you're going to do is you're going to... Um, peel your English cucumbers and then so you peel them and then you cut them and so you want to make sure that your rounds aren't particularly thick because when you're making a canapé or when you're making an appetizer it's supposed to be one bite that's the goal of an appetizer the goal of an appetizer is to be eaten in one bite um, so don't make those puppies really thick you don't want people gnawing on them and gnashing them around and everything Okay, so now you've got those peeled, and then you've got them cut adequately. And then in a bowl, you're going to take your salmon, um, just dump it in there. I started with one can, and then I added some of the other can. And then you're going to add your cream cheese and your lemon pepper seasoning and a little bit of milk. Now, I just used my beaters, my electric beaters, and I just whipped it up, whip, 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 whip. And again, I added a little bit more of the salmon from the second can as needed. So after you do that, you're supposed to get a piping bag. Well, I don't know which ones of you out there have a piping bag. I've never owned a piping bag in my life. Get a Ziploc bag and get over yourself. So put it in the Ziploc bag, put it in there, and then kind of squinch it in the corner, get the air out. Snip a little bit of your Ziploc bag and then just pipe, slip the corner of it. And then you just kind of use that to pipe it out onto your cucumber pieces. And you can serve it with a little spring of dill. But since I was just experimenting, I mean, like in the pictures, if you look it up, it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful, like the pink and the green. It's really pretty together. But I just really wanted to taste it um, and see what it tasted like. So I made it. And like I said earlier, my family was not super crazy about it. They thought it was kind of a baby food kind of thing, like a fish baby food sort of thing. But we're not sophisticated people. And I'm not going to lie about that. 
I mean, we are, you know, Cheez-Its and Miller Lite people. Not all the time, but I would say that it's in our blood. Cheez-Its are in our blood. So they weren't crazy about it, but I have to say that it did have a good taste. And, you know, if you want to impress someone, it's a very impressive looking dish. So now you've got your two cocktails and you're stumbling around in the kitchen making your salmon mousse canapes. So now that you've got all that taken care of, what are we going to do? We're finally going to talk about Mary Stewart. So let's get into it. Um, Again, she was known basically for two things, an Arthurian saga about King Arthur and then the standalone romance thriller novels. We're going to say they're romance thrillers. And she's really very quite prolific. Um, And we're also going to talk about clothes. We talk about Mary Stewart because clothes, at least in my mind, it's very important. Um, I love vintage fashion. Um, I have a whole Pinterest board that I'll tell you about if you want to look at some of these clothes that I think that you could find in Mary Stewart books or that I have found in Mary Stewart books. But we will get into that afterwards. Right now, we're going to start with a little overview of Mary herself. So Mary Stewart was born in England in 1916. Um, pretty, pretty normal English life. Um, very, you know, true to the crown. She was a clergyman's daughter. Um, she went to university. She went to uh, Durham University and studied English. She met her husband, Frederick. I think it was on Victory Day, on VE Day. She met Frederick and he became the head of the geology department at the University of Edinburgh. So they moved to Scotland and they lived in Scotland most of their life lives. And she lived on this place called Lake, pardon me, Loch Awe. It's pronounced, it's A-W-E. And I don't really know how to pronounce it. Loch Awe. You guys will have to look it up. But um, pretty idyllic, pretty idyllic life. They never had children. Um, He was fervently supportive of her. He was not one of those husbands that was like, you sit there and be quiet. He loved her writing. He encouraged her to do it. And so that was very refreshing, I think, for the time. And I did find just a little bit of a fun fact here, a very interesting fun fact, was that she wrote a novel pretty much every year. And every time a novel was published, she bought herself a new piece of jewelry. And I just thought that was a wonderful tradition, you know, because it is very Mary Stewart-like. A new string of pearls, a new sapphire ring, a new ruby brooch, or something like that, as she was writing these wonderful novels. Um, You can find pictures of her home online. It's very lavish. It's very Downton Abbey. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, she, she had it pretty good. She had it pretty good. Um, And I'm not faulting that. I'm just saying that if you've ever read the book, A Room of One's Own by uh, Virginia Woolf, that's what you need to create, especially for women to create. You have to have income, you have to have free time, and you have to have a nice place to do it. And Mrs. Stewart had all three. So let's talk for just a second about the Arthurian um, books that she wrote. So she wrote these uh, Arthurian books, which people may be more familiar with because 
that's a very, um, you know, it's a very popular subject and everything. I have read one of them, and it was the first one, and I wasn't really that into it. I mean, I guess it's just never really been that. It was written well. It was called, I believe, The Crystal Cave. Let me just make sure on that. Hold on just a sec. Yes, it was indeed The Crystal Caves. So in that series, she wrote The Crystal Caves, um, and then she wrote three others in this Arthurian saga, and I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I just, I wasn't interested in it. They're not bad. They're beautifully written. They're very popular. If you're into that, please go read, but I just couldn't do it. It just wasn't my scene. Just another Arthurian retelling, blah. What I loved are her standalone novels. And let's get into those. Let's get into the meat of this. And let's talk about the term that I used earlier, pre-James Bond for women. Now, I went through a period several years back where I was very into James Bond. And I read all, well, I think almost all of the original Ian Fleming novels, which if you haven't read them and you enjoy the movies, you really need to do a service to yourself to read them. Um, because you get a lot more insight into the character and, um, just do it, just do it. We'll do a James Bond episode, I promise. But I want to tell you, so the very first Mary Stewart I ever read, I believe was either My Brother Michael or Thunder on the Right. Now, if you followed my Walking Moose blog for a while, you will see that I wrote a book review of Thunder on the Right. Thunder on the Right, so much fun. I thought it was such a fun book. It takes place in the Pyrenees Mountains in the summer. It's got the wildest plot you'll ever want to read. It's got a strange color blindness that is critical to the plot. It's got murderous nuns. It's got all kinds of stuff. But it's super, super fun. Now, I love the Mary Stewart books because they often take place in very exotic locales and the women that are the heroines are great. I just really like them. They are dated. They are um, very much women of their times. I just finished reading the other day, Wildfires at Midnight. I have to tell you about this book. So I went to um, Half Price Books recently, and I found this book. It was a $15 paperback, but it was one of the first printings. It was not a first edition of Wildfires at Midnight, and so it had the original cover on it, and it was in good condition, and so of course I bought it. Now, hubby nearly freaked out because $15 for a paperback, but it was wonderful. It was 1953, and the woman who is our heroine is a model, and it takes place on the Isle of Skye, and it's just super fun. But she is a victim of her times. You know, she, one of my, uh, f- the funniest part in the book, I thought it was funny. People reading it in 1953 wouldn't have thought it was funny. But um, our heroine and our hero are having a romantic moment. And he is telling her not to be jealous that he really loves her. And she should know, especially that day, why he really loves her. And she says, why? How can I know today? Why today? And he said, because have you looked in a mirror lately? You're not looking your best. And I just thought that was so 1953. And of course, it was, you know, such a woman's value and a woman's worth and everything like that. But her heroines are not simpy. 
They're really not. I mean, they they get out there and they hold their own. And Okay, so what are you going to get when you pick up a Mary Stewart novel? Well, the first thing that you're going to get is you're going to get a first-person narrative. And I think all of them are first-person narratives. And I like that. Um, you know, each different type of story demands its own different type of storytelling. But in the Mary Stewart books, that first-person narrative, it's kind of like, um, I don't really want to compare it with Rebecca because I have seen, as I've researched Mary Stewart, that a lot of people compare Mary Stewart to Daphne du Maurier. I don't think that at all, really. I think, you know, if anything, you can probably compare her stuff to Rebecca, but even not that, because I think Mary Stewart's heroines are much more plucky. And they also take place in these exotic locations where these women are not familiar. So these women go to these different locations and they have to navigate not only the cast of characters and the mystery and the suspense and everything like that, but these completely different um, cultures, which I thought was fascinating. So let's go through some of these books and we'll talk about them just a little bit. So the first one that she wrote was Madame Will You Talk? And that's set in Provence, Provence, France. And she and a girlfriend, our heroine, and a girlfriend, they go on vacation and she becomes involved with the um, safety of this little boy. And they're at this hotel and (laughs) And we don't know whether the father um, is coming after the little boy because he's a killer or whether the father is coming after the little boy because he's trying to save him from a killer. Excellent, madam, when you talk. Wildfire at Midnight, I just finished. Um, that takes place on the Isle of Skye. Um, and that was a really fun one. I thought that was super fun. Um, it's about this model. She is a clothes model. And she kind of makes fun of that as her living. And she's divorced, which was racy for 1953. But she goes to... But of course, they clear that up at the end. Um, they fix that little problem. You'll have to read the book to find out how. But she goes to the Isle of Skye. And there's ritualistic murders going on. So that's really fun and really interesting. I really enjoyed that one. Um, Then we've got, what else do we have? So I've read those two. Thunder on the right. One of my all-time faves. One of my all-time faves. (laughs) It's just got the most interesting plot of anything I've ever read. Um, but it it's very atmospheric too. You know, you feel the heat. You feel the dusty roads. That takes place um, in these Pyrenees mountains. Um, and there's a, a convent. And there's these murderous nuns. And it's just totally fun. Totally fun. Okay. Nine Coaches Waiting. That was very interesting too. Um, That's another one that I thought was very, very good. It takes place in France. Um, And again, we have sort of a child in peril kind of situation. And um, I never really got the reference of Nine Coaches Waiting. I mean, it's explained to you in there, but I never really got the reference. But that one I thought was very, very good too, because so many of these are about who can you trust. And the heroine will often place her trust in the wrong person, but then she always figures it out. Don't worry about it. She always figures it out. My brother Michael was, I thought, excellent. That was set in Greece um, after World War II, and it starts out with this wonderful line, nothing ever happens to me. 
And that's the first line of the book. And then you know right after that you're going on a ride. So in this one, she's in Greece um, and she gets this car dropped off to her. And she's told that she has to drive this car and she doesn't know to this other location in Greece. And she doesn't know what's going on. But of course, she takes the bait and she drives the car. And we're finding out what happened to the hero's brother, Michael, um, that happened on the island. What happened to Michael? That's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. Um, the Ivy Tree, I have, but I haven't read it yet. Allegedly, um, I don't want to say allegedly because I know it is. I'm not speculating it is. That's about a mistaken identity, um, or not really a mistaken identity, but an imposter. An imposter situation. Haven't read it yet. The Moon Spinners, I finally got a good copy of that because I saw the movie years ago. Disney made a movie out of this with Haley Mills. And I saw the movie years ago and it just always, I just thought it was so exotic. Again, it takes place in Greece. I haven't read it yet, um, but I do have a good copy. So hopefully I will get to that this summer. Then we've got This Rough Magic, which I am desperately looking for. If you guys find it anywhere, Buy it for me and I'll pay you back. But I want a good copy of it. So this takes place in Corfu. Corfu, is that how you say it? Um, which I didn't know where that was. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I didn't know where that was. But it's an island. It's a Greek island. And this all has to do with international smuggling. And I'm desperate to find that one and read it. Because if you remember from my John Dickinson car discussion. Part of the fun here is finding these books. I guess I can order it. Yes, I can go out and order it. I know I can and I may have to, but I'm still on the hunt. I'm not ready to give up the ghost on that one that, on that one yet. Airs Above Ground, I, I put this one down. I did not finish this one. That was a couple of years ago. I have it. It's, um, it's a good copy. And this is about, it's set in Austria, and it's about those horses. Oh, I forget what you call them. The lipper stickers, spaniel, stallions, or something like that. But the horses that kind of jump around and do all those intricate moves and everything like that. And it just wasn't taking me anywhere. It just wasn't going anywhere with it. She just, you know, Mary Stewart takes a while because the pacing is different than what we're used to now. And so this one was, you know, they were talking about these circus people. And it was just like, get somewhere, do something. But I am going to reread it. I am going to give it a different try. But that takes place in Austria. Um, the Gabriel Hounds, I recently finished. That was, that was super fun. That was set in Syria and Lebanon in like the 60s. And oh my gosh, that was fun. Just the description of moving about the cities and how the society worked and everything like that. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that one. Um, it had that very desert feel to it. That was great. And I have a wonderful copy of that. The Wind Off the Small Islands, um, that's set in the Canary Islands off of Spain. Haven't found it. Don't know much about it. Would still like to read it. Touch Not the Cat was, um, that was in England. That was like really kind of very generic England, kind of middle of England kind of thing, but I really enjoyed it. It was very good. It had more of a supernatural edge to it, not a real supernatural edge to it, but more of a supernatural kind of leanings towards it. 
but I, I liked that one a lot. Touch Not the Cat was a good one. Thorny Hold was another one that set in the middle of England. And for some reason, every time I go to a used bookstore, that's the only Mary Stuart book they ever have is Thorny Hold. And that one is about a house. It's um, our heroine inherits this house. And so there's a witchcraft element to it. Um, there's people kind of trying to do witchcraft in it. And then there's, you know, ancestors, you know, talking about witches, stuff like that. It's an ever used bookstore I've ever been in, in my life. I can guarantee you, if you go to a used bookstore today, you will find Thor Thorny Hold up there. Um, Stormy Petrol, um, that takes place um, sort of in Scotland, off the Isles of Scotland. Don't know much about it. Haven't read anything about it. Can't find it. And then Rose Cottage. Now, that was one of her latest ones. And that was just a sweet story. It was... More than anything else, you're going to read Rose Cottage and go to sleep and have sweet dreams. I'm not going to say it's going to bore you. It's not going to bore you. It's going to soothe you. It's a very soothing story. I mean, it's very, nothing really much happens in it. You don't have a lot of exciting drama or anything like that. But I mean, it's a very soothing, sweet story. And I enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie, I enjoyed it a lot. So I've read most of her stuff looking at this list. I've read most of her stuff. Um, and let's go back again to, I just want to circle back on that pre-James Bond thing. So here are all these exotic locations. Greece, Austria, the Sky Islands, the Pyrenees Mountains, um, Syria, Lebanon, everything like that. And these heroines are out there and they're navigating all of these situations in these different cultures and locations that they're not familiar with. And you've got smuggling and you've got government secrets and then you've got murder and just like the um, wildfires at midnight. He was, that was a pretty wacky, pretty wacky scenario there too. But I mean, they're all fun and they're all adventurous and they're all the kind of stuff that I would imagine reading as a young woman. I didn't read these as a young woman. Um, I read them, you know, when I was in my late 30s, I discovered her and everything. But I can just imagine if you're a young woman, it's 1956, it's 1961 or something, and you get a Mary Stewart novel and you are ready to take on the world because these are some plucky heroines. Yes, they're women of their times. Yes, they're kind of bound by social conventions. But at the same time, they are out there doing it, figuring out those clues, running from the murderers. They, they're they like Nancy Drew, grown up, stylish, and running around all these exotic places. So I'm just going to briefly touch on the fashion of Mary Stewart, and then I'm going to go on from there. Um, and wind it up. So one of the reasons that I really love Mary Stewart novels is because I love vintage fashion. And if you find, especially some of the original um, book covers, the cover art has wonderful examples of vintage fashion on it. Also, there's um, they reprinted a lot in 2017. Who did that? Hot, hotter and Stoughton, and I'll include this in the show notes, 
But they did these reissues of the Mary Stewarts, and they based their cover arts off of um, travel posters, these vintage travel posters. And I'm telling you, it's just, I love these clothes. I loved Mad Men, Mad Men, the TV series, for one of the reasons, simply for to watch the fashion. I mean, I could sit there with the sound off and just watch the men and women's fashion. And when you're Mary Stewart, when you're looking at Mary Stewart, she's going to talk about fashion. She doesn't get overwrought in it. She doesn't get down to the complete nitty gritty with it. But she does talk about clothes. And I just thought it was so much fun. I just, I thought it was so much fun. And so I, years ago, started writing a fictional um, kind of ode to Mary Stewart um novel called Helen Patterson, Young Lady Detective. And the reason I did that, one of the reasons why I did that is so I could make a Pinterest board with just vintage fashion on it. And I loved it so much. And so I'll link that in there. Um, but you really want to check out the original cover art and all of the cover arts for Mary Stewart. You know, some of them, like in the 70s, they were just throwing everything up there in order to make a buck. They were reprinting books and they were just putting any piece of old cover art on there as possible. But you want to find the original ones. You want to find some great ones because they really are... They're just stunning. Um, and the last thing I'm going to tell you is I'm going to tell you if you want to dig deep into Mary Stewart, I happen to love a blog and it's called Mary Queen of Plots. And I will link it. Um, it is uh, by a woman who lives in Scotland. And she is all Mary Stewart all the time. And she's got great examples of the cover art. Um, she digs deep into the stories. She really gives you a lot of interesting facts about Mary Stewart. And it's definitely, definitely worth a look. Mary Queen of Plots. Well, my blog, my blog, my podcast, I forget which medium I'm working in sometimes. My podcast of the day is finished. Um, finished. I will be... I will be checking my microphone to see why it just suddenly caught off right there. But in addition to that, I will also be making a companion vlog in the next week called What's on My Shelf. And we will go and search around the shelves and see what we can find, what Mary Stewart's we can find, um, and what their cover art is like. But don't get your hopes up. I don't have really the good classic ones, um, the good classic cover arts. But anyway, I'm so glad that you joined me. I hope that you check Mary Stewart out and thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for joining us at the Walking Moose podcast. Again, my name is Meg. My dog's name is Moose. You can check us out at www.walkingmoose.com where you can find all kinds of observations about a life in progress just like yours. So farewell, all Sane, and may the road always rise up to meet you.